Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Allie Green from Spain with us. Allie, you're going to have to tell me what city you're in. Hello, I am calling in from Javier, Spain, which is about an hour and a half south of Valencia. Awesome. I actually, she told me the name of the city, but I already forgot and I knew I wouldn't say it correctly. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ellie, thank you so much for coming in. You have contacted me actually because you, we both specialize in uh, work from home and remote work. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? And then we'll kind of go back and kind of go through your journey of how you got to now. Definitely. So I am working from home from this this home now in Spain. And I landed here sort of mid-pandemic this past year. Before that, I had been working from home, but my homes were Airbnbs in different countries all over the world. And I was traveling quite a fast-paced work-from-home lifestyle. I'm currently living here and working full-time on co-authoring a book around how managers and teams can get better at working together and collaborating in this virtual space and leading workshops on the future of work. That is awesome. Actually, I think my, my guest, two guests ago, Ute from Germany, she also has uh, authored a book about remote work and working with the more corporate side of things. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is, um, can you give us a little preview of what we might find in that book? And you're co-authoring yeah, with... Um, I'm co-authoring with a good friend of mine. Her name is Tamara. She's located in Boston, and we actually met while we were working uh, together for two separate companies, but using the same shared office space in Cape Town, South Africa in 2017. So it's a book about remote work with its roots very much in remote work, and we're collaborating remotely. So, you know, we're, we're definitely uh, eating our dog food, which is something that I've I've learned people say in tech quite a lot. And um, so a little bit more about the book, we feel that not only, you know, during the pandemic, but definitely before, and I'll place many bets on it after, that when it comes to companies trying to figure out how to offer work from home or flexible work or remote work programming, the success of that is really going to lie in what I consider to be the heartbeat of the organization, which is your everyday manager. The people that not only have to manage up and work with leadership teams on certain policies or benefits that can be beneficial from people working from home, but they're also the first point of contact for all of their employees may be scattered throughout the world depending on you know, the work from home strategy that each company operates. And why this was really important to me is I feel like right now, if you go online, there's tons of listicles. I've written a few of them for the individual contributor around how to beat isolation, how to be productive working from home. And I'm sure we can talk about a lot of those topics today. There's, there's tons of resources. And so as an individual contributor, there are are great opportunities to learn how to get better at this for free. Um, and it's really about finding your style. On the flip side, for executives, I feel like, and, and this is something that I've learned through my consulting business, that they really want a customized approach. And so you're not going to necessarily read a book and then totally change how your organization is structured. It's possible, and that might be our, our second book, you know, if, if we're lucky, because that's something that I feel really passionate about is throwing away the old format of how to structure a company. But what really matters right now is to help everybody figure out this new way of working. And that means things like collaborating with each other, building trust, making sure that there's easy to use frameworks and processes, and all of that can be built at the team level. And so that's why it was really important for me and for my co-author Tamara to focus on the everyday manager and the people that they manage. When I was working from home, actually, when I was working in an office, I never talked about how I was sleeping with my coworkers. Like that maybe came up a couple of times, but I never would have talked about how much sleep I was getting with my manager. Uh, when I started working from home and I started switching into that third shift uh, schedule because I was working for a hospital, it got really personal, like sometimes. And we actually had to talk about like sleep strategies and, you know, um, and I feel like working from home, sometimes, you know, a lot of people try to keep working home very separate, but working from home definitely starts to blur those lines. And sometimes we had to talk, like I had to talk with my manager about my desk and how 
Um, I thought it was ergonomic enough, but it wasn't. Um, and she had to work with me to try to like, you know, fix that. So can you talk about that a little bit? Like, does it, do you feel like it blurs the lines or do you find people trying very hard to pretend like they're not working from home, never having to have those conversations just to, you know, make sure that people know that it's working and not to let, not to force them to come back to the office? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I definitely see both things happening. I think that there's a handful of companies that are trying to maintain very strict boundaries. And what I see happen with these companies is they're operating work as normal, but people are just located elsewhere. And while this might work for a certain period of time, I think it's definitely leaving the benefits of remote work and working from home on the table because Mm. naturally these companies are structuring things so that there's a clear start time and end time to work. They're assuming that people are available throughout that time for synchronous meetings and not taking advantage of the benefits of asynchronous communication or communication where everyone can get to it when they're ready to to read or listen or watch the communication at play and respond back to it when they've had time to be very intentional and thoughtful with their answer. And so you're getting these things like people feeling like they're Zoom fatigued or people feeling like they're on meeting burnout or that they're, you know, not getting physical fitness because they're just sitting at their desk all day at home and they're missing their commute and they're missing their coworkers. And I think that's because these companies haven't transitioned to really reap the benefits of remote work. On the flip side, I think we're seeing a lot of companies realize that if you can tear down these physical walls and these virtual walls that happen and be a little bit more open and transparent and honest and humble, with each other, it it creates something called vulnerability-based trust. And so you're able to trust your team, you're able to work better together because you are being a little bit more authentic and vulnerable about letting people into your home you know, albeit it's it's through a virtual screen, but but I joked like, oh, you can't actually tell I'm in Spain because you're not getting this beautiful background. I'm inside. This is my <laughs> closet behind me um, full of, you know, messy clothes and, and my dress is hanging up that I haven't been able to wear because it's been pouring rain here. Um, <laughs> but normally, you know, I might be on a video call and this is something that, that happened a, a couple jobs ago. I was usually in Asia or Europe, and I was managing someone who was located in the United States. And it just so happened that our one-on-ones always sort of fell towards mealtime. And so I would be having a Zoom conversation while like chopping carrots. And we had this level of trust because we'd been working together for years that it was totally natural and normal that it was like, hey, Ali, what's for dinner tonight? And I was able to, you know, get to know someone more. People say like, oh, when you're working from home, how do you actually get to know people more? And you can get to know people by letting them into your home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could have a you know a whole tangent of when that's not always appropriate and some of the downsides of that vulnerability. And we're seeing that you know come to play with underrepresented groups or people that don't naturally have the best working environments at home because they weren't prepared for it and their companies weren't yet prepared for it. But I do think there's solutions to those types of problems both from like a cultural standpoint of how the company operates and also from a benefits standpoint of, hey, you can invest in, you know, providing everybody with a good microphone and, you know, a a good light for their desk. And you can provide people with um, the backdrop. So behind their computer can be a backdrop. So you're not using virtual screens, which I you know, think can be fun and funny and people like it. But I think that's even more awkward and uncomfortable than just seeing a curtain behind someone or in my case, a blank wall of my closet or just acknowledging like, hey, you might have kids or pets or dirty dishes in the background. And like, we're all human. We've all been there. And like, that's cool. And it might be a jumping off point to get to know someone better. Like, oh, I see Mm -hmm. that, you know, bowl of oranges behind you. Where'd you get them? Oh, I found them on a hike I went on the other day. And there was like this farm stand at the end of the hike. And I bought two kilos for a euro. And it, you know, you never know what can be a conversation starter in someone's Mm -hmm. background. You were talking a little bit ago about how sometimes the company is trying to have all these boundaries and things and like keeping the appearance of, you know, everything is normal. We're still having the same start and end time. And 
maybe they're assuming that everyone's still in their same time zone. I know some companies basically require you to be within mm-hmm. driving distance of the home office, um, but you have been working as a basically a digital nomad for several years. So you've got the very wide, very, I can't even say it. The the time zones are just like all over the place, right? Um, are you finding more companies uh, switching to the more asynchronous type meetings or communications uh, when they do start allowing things? Or is there a lot of pushback on those things? Again, this this totally depends on the leadership. So I find that leaders in companies who already have a sense of, you know, what are the deliverables? What are our quarterly goals? How do we make happy employees be productive employees? Mm-hmm. I think these are the best companies that exist in the world. And these companies are soon going to realize we can have happy, productive employees and it doesn't matter where they are. The mm-hmm. next layer of that is managing things that can be quite hectic and confusing for people. Um, I used to be the director of people for a fully distributed company. And so thinking about things like taxes and salary strategies and compliance in different countries, these are things that are really scary for leaders that are used to operating within only one city, um, maybe a couple of offices geographically spread out, but giving people the free range to travel. And I think in certain circumstances, the laws haven't necessarily caught up to the work. And that is where leaders, executive teams, employees that want this should contact their HR teams, have their HR teams and their companies contact, you know, local legislation. It's going to be a big community effort between the pi- the private and public sector of, of different countries. But even, you know, as an employee, if you want to work from home and make your home somewhere really exotic for six months, or you want a, you know, a workcation, which is, which is something that I have done in the past, um, going to your manager or your HR person being prepared around, this is the time zone I'm going to be in. These are the synchronous meetings that I can make. These are the meetings I can't make, but here's the goal of the meeting and this is how I'm going to approach it asynchronously. My home address is staying the same. And just putting together these types of proposals for your manager can be a really great way to manage up if you're an individual who's looking for sort of that digital nomad lifestyle that I've had in the past. And on the flip side, companies now have tons of resources available to them. And so I just left a um, consulting arrangement I had with an amazing company called Oyster. And what they do, they're an HR enablement platform. And so if you're a remote company and you want to say, hey, I want to hire someone in Lebanon, I want to hire someone in Australia, we're a US-based company, how do we do that? Companies like Oyster will help you deal with all the compliance, the payroll, the benefits. And so you as a manager and as a leader of a team can focus on your people and the work that needs to get done. That's awesome. When I was working for Mayo Clinic, I was started, I started in Minnesota, but I didn't actually start re- working remotely. I I trained on site. Um, I had worked on site for years, but when I finally worked remotely, I started in my new home in Missouri. And back then, and I don't know what the rules are right now, because it's been several years since I've left, but then they only allowed us to work within driving distance for the, the first tier of people that started doing remote work had to be within 80 miles. By the time I came on, I was allowed to move eight or nine hours away. That was okay. Um, at that point, they had already built enough things, systems in place that even if we had like a power outage, there was a backup plan for what we would do as far as making up our hours because I was hourly then. Mm-hmm. But they still always required people to be within the continental U.S. So you weren't allowed to live in um, Alaska or Hawaii. Uh, now they have, I think they might have trialed that to see if it was working. Um, but that leap the biggest thing is I had to give them six weeks notice before I switched uh, states because of taxes. And that got really complicated when my husband was job hunting. I was eight months pregnant and we were like, if my husband gets a job, do I have to stay here for six weeks before I can follow him? Like, am I going to be having a baby by myself if he needs to switch, you know, locations for his work? And um, thankfully it all worked out. Um <laughs> I think I actually ended up having three weeks notice in the end and they pushed it through and approved it. 
um, because we had to move very fast and I didn't want to um, be back with my three kids or my nursing baby and having, you know, it just wasn't going to work. Um, and they, they pushed it through so I could, you know, move with him. Thank God. Um, but is, does the, does this taxes thing come into play the biggest, um, the biggest change from state to state or country to country? Like what is the biggest hang up for letting people, uh, approve those yeah, I would say both. Workers. I think the U.S. the U.S. tax system is incredibly complicated, and I don't pretend to be an expert, but I know yeah. that state to state, you know, the rules are changing very similarly to country to country rules change yeah. in Europe and other continents. I think um, a lot of it comes down to the company, the size they are at, what their level of risk is. Um, how willing they are to experiment with things that don't have clear cut compliance yet. Um, so something like someone traveling and combining a vacation for six weeks somewhere else, but not changing their legal residence or not changing, you know, if they're considered a tax resident of another country, that's something that maybe a company would be willing to take the risk or put it in their remote work policy, which is even better, that the employee is responsible potentially for figuring out the legislation and, and take deciding that risk themselves. And so I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to the size. If you want to use resources like Oyster, also just like fear and not knowing. So so people assume that it could be very complicated to do this, but then people thought, remote work in general was quite complicated. And then throughout this pandemic, the past year, real, people realized that, hey, it's not as scary, it's not as hard a, as we think. And so I think for a lot of companies, there is this fear of like, what happens if we just let our employees go anywhere? Are they gonna be working? Are they gonna want to come into meetings? How are we gonna treat people that didn't leave and still want the office, which is why hybrid is becoming such a, a trendy conversation lately. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that just comes down to what changes the leadership teams of companies are willing to make to the company culture. And you mentioned a little bit earlier this shift to asynchronous communication being one of them. And I cannot like put more passion and emphasis around asynchronous communication. And I don't think it's a solution only for when you're letting employees go across different time zones. I think even if you're a company that's allowing people to work from home and everybody's located in Michigan or Idaho and they're not traveling, it's still incredibly freeing and has so many benefits to letting people really structure their life at home in a way where work can fit into that and work doesn't become just something you're doing at home and then you're living your life. And I, and I think that blending, and we talked about the blurring of the boundaries already. And I think the blurring of those personal boundaries can be quite important too, because not everybody's motivated at the same time. Not everybody, you know, wants to sit in the same space and work for a chunk of time. Some people like to break it up. Some people have children to take care of. Some people have, you know, elderly parents to take care of. Some people just this was me when I was working from home in Philadelphia. So I was still in the same time zone as the majority of my colleagues. I honestly just hated going to the grocery store on Sunday like every other human and having to wait in line to get into the grocery store in a city. And those who live in New York City have it even worse. I've experienced that as well. Like doing groceries on a random Tuesday or Wednesday when the produce comes in fresh, you don't have to wait, you don't have to fight over the last orange with anybody else. You can get in and out and then go back to work and then have your actual Sunday to relax is like so enjoyable and so mm -hmm. silly, but having those little micro moments of enjoyment throughout the week will make people, and I feel this, more excited to get their work done because when they sit down to work, it's when they're motivated, they're energized, they're ready to give it their all. You mentioned the caring for adult parents. And I have, um, I had a coworker who, and I can't remember who it was, but it was when I was doing transcription work. And at that point, I think they've given a little bit more flexible start and end times and a like flexible lunch now. Um, I think they're having those people work within a range of hours and you just have to get your eight or 10 hours in within your range. Um, but back then it was like a hard start and a hard stop and you were given a 30 minute lunch. Um, I think we were only allowed to 
switch it to a one hour lunch, like with permission. Um, and I had a friend who was caring for an elderly parent and she got like, I don't know, written up or, you know, talked to because, you know, sometimes her breaks were a little bit longer than they were supposed to be. And they, they were, you know, basically able to see our productivity at all times on our computer. There were like, um, programs that were saying like that person has let go of their keyboard for the last 30 minutes and they weren't on a lunch break. And it was very micromanaged in that way. And like, we would be talked to if we weren't like absolutely productive. And I know that person would have loved to have just extended her shift by the 30 minutes when she had to care for someone, um, you know, in the middle, like there was, you know, that person was maybe vomiting or something like that. And it was like, oh, I got to, I have to get up. Um, and I like seeing that even that company has been a little bit more flexible in more recent years. Um, but are you finding like a lot of, um, I guess it depends on if you're talking to the team employee who's on an hourly, you know, schedule versus those managers and the, or the supervisors and managers and then the upper management, who do you generally work with? Yeah. So I personally have had quite an interesting journey all working from home. So I left like corporate America back in 2014. I was working in New York City doing learning and development and HR for an advertising company. And advertising in New York, it's very glamorous. It's very fun. But alongside it comes, you know, um, very strict, at least back then in 2014, expectations around having FaceTime with everybody else. And I lived in Brooklyn. I had an hour commute, uh, two subways to get to my office by 8 a.m. because the core hours were 8 to 6, so not even 9 to 5. And I just, like, I imagined these, like, days where I didn't have to fight my way onto a subway and be around all these sweaty people and could just show up when I was ready to work. And it seemed like such a dream. Um, for, for me, it was a dream that I couldn't let go of. And so I did like ultimately after a year of working in New York City, I quit my job um, to to travel, actually. And, and so that was my first step at realizing, hey, you can work anywhere because I was lucky enough that um, when I had planned to leave the role, other people on my team had also left. And so I ended up being one of the only people with a certain skill set and I was able to transition a full-time role into a consulting role, and that's not the first time I've done it in my career. And what I've learned is if you're willing to give up some of the securities that come with full-time salaried employment, and it is scary, and there's, you know, there's sort of, you have to let go a little bit of ego, you have to let go a little bit of the, the comfort of a steady salary to make that shift. But once you do make that shift, what you could gain in the freedom and the flexibility for me was huge. And so I've experienced working from home as a consultant and a freelancer. It's how I got my start. But shortly after that, I was actually the first people operations hire for a fully distributed team, DuckDuckGo. They're based in Paoli. And I joined them full time as part of the leadership team. So I was director of people. I was leading the HR function, managing a team. It started out just being me, but over my four years there, it was five employees that I was managing. And I was doing all of that while working from home and being in different time zones than the people I worked most closely with. And that was a full-time role and a full-time leadership role. So, so one of the lessons that I take from that is for people who really want to make this work and they want to work from home and get all the benefits of it, but they're also very hungry and driven in their career, it's not impossible to have it all. You can be part of a leadership team. You can really challenge your career and grow professionally if you're finding the right companies to grow with. And more and more, you're seeing companies make this transition to, to stay remote. You have companies like DuckDuckGo and Automatic and Buffer, Lead, Zapier leading the charge. But more and more companies are coming where there will be these amazing professional experiences. And so I had that um, in my life for about four years. And then for a lot of personal reasons, I took a step back from working full time again um, is actually quite funny looking back because I had left my role at DuckDuckGo and I had a ski trip planned and I was going to go on the ski trip and then take a personal sabbatical. And then the European lockdowns with COVID hit like right in that moment. I spent 24 hours at the ski resort, didn't even have a chance to go down the slopes. 
And it was like, all right, everybody has to, you know, be out. The resorts are closing. Um, we're going into lockdown. And so going on a personal sabbatical during lockdown, I was staying in a studio apartment uh, with my partner who who also works from home, didn't seem ideal. And so it was then that I I started my own company. So then I was like, okay, now I have this experience as an entrepreneur working from home. And through that, I was able to get, um, you know, consulting gigs that were paid hourly where I really did have to plan. This is, you know, when throughout the week, and I had more freedom as a consultant and a business owner, but it was still an hourly rate situation where I was like, this is my rough schedule for the week. This is how I'm going to keep track of hours. This is how I'm going to explain to you what these hours are going towards and the value of what I'm producing for you. This is when I will be available for questions or not available for questions. And what I learned through that experience is if companies want to, even if they're hiring hourly workers um, that are employees, there's still a way to give them freedom and flexibility over their schedule. And, And one tactical thing that really worked for me not only in my consulting experience, but also when I was the director of people, something I implemented with my team was an asynchronous check-in. So every Monday, whenever people woke up, up to them, they wrote the time zone that they were in, when they were going to work, roughly how many hours every day, what they needed help with, uh, what their top priority was. And then everyone had insight into, oh, this person's doing this. It's going to take them this long. They're going to be around these days. And you get a context of when everybody's working so that if you do need to collaborate or something comes up where you need just like a quick phone call with someone, you know exactly when they're going to be around or not around. And you don't have to question, is that person working or are they Mm -hmm. not working? Was that something that you did weekly? Yes. So every Monday we filled it out. And every Friday we wrote back in the thread and you can do this in any project management tool or Slack or anything like that. I've done it in Asana and Slack and also WhatsApp, um, which is it's how I'm doing it right now with my co-author because it's just the two of us. Um, But it's basically every Monday a self-report and every Friday a check-in of I got to this, I didn't get to this, or I ended up having to take this afternoon off because this emergency happened and you know, I'm going to deduct that from my hours or make up for it this weekend or next week or something like that. Okay. Have you, are you familiar with Basecamp? Have you had success with that one at all? I'm familiar with it, but I have never used it. That's the one that I've been using with the assistant that I've been working with who helps me with the editing. Mm, Um, How do you like it? It's okay. His, the company that he works for that I hired him through, they're the ones that supply it. So it's not actually my Basecamp. So I have a little bit more limited function there, um, but we can use it for projects. And like they have basically what they call the campfires, like their chat. You can just, and we actually do almost, I would say 95% of what we do is just happening in this like ongoing stream, which gets a little bit hard to organize. So there are like to do tasks where we could go in and have a separate conversation about specific tasks, which is the smarter way of using it. But um, Mm -hmm. it's not always the most convenient when I'm on my phone. Um, I kind of want to unpack a few things that you've talked about. Um, One thing that's kind of coming to my mind right now is when we're talking about all this flexibility and freedom that people have, I usually, you know, you're talking about freelancers and consultants and coaches, um, management and people who are in these corporations. But I'm kind of thinking about the people who are trying to come in, you know, who are like, man, I really need to be able to work from home. Uh, but they don't have the four-year degree. They need to come in from an entry level. And when I'm thinking of, like, say, the call centers, I'm in a few um, remote work, like Facebook groups that I've just kind of been observing a lot in. And one of them, I think that everyone that seems to be working is working for a call center. And they have some very strict rules about, you know, you must be able to close your door, you know, no pets or cats or dogs or whatever, or children can be seen or heard and it must be a locked door and you can't have any electronics that are smart devices in that room. And, um, I feel like you're losing, like you were saying, like some of the benefits of being able to work from home, but you know, because these are call centers to people on phones, I understand some of the restrictions. So do you have any suggestions for people who do want to work from home, but, aren't going to have this like four-year degree and now they, you know, they're not ready to just like start freelancing. They might need a more, um, 
I don't know, entry-level job. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't have a ton of experience with people in, in call centers specifically, but when I think of people entering the workforce for the first time that want to work remotely, there's a few ideas that come to mind. And so my first piece of advice would be if those people already have a job, but that job is office-based, mm-hmm. um, write a proposal of how you think it's going to work for you to work remotely. Mm -hmm. Um, Joining specific programs that can help you already have that support is one way that you can, you know, use it as a professional development opportunity and talk to your manager around, this is why I want to work remotely. This is what it would mean for me. This is what it would mean for the team. Logistically, this is how it's going to get done and ask for a trial period. And that could be something that not only allows you to do it, but can also set the stage for the company to then implement policies in the future. Mm -hmm. And while it's not the same as being a digital nomad, even doing it where you're working from home two days a week or you're getting a work from home, you know, week every two months. um, I don't necessarily personally love those programs because I think that the downside of it is that it becomes something that you're looking forward to and so you're not actually getting into that routine of working from home every day and working out the challenges within yourself Mm -hmm. but it's a great stepping stone for companies that aren't yet ready to figure out how it works and then if you're doing that and you're doing it in a really great way it's not only helping you get experience of the functional area that you're in as an entry-level employee, but it's also giving you the experience of how to do things more autonomously, how to have really strong business writing to keep everyone updated on what you're doing when you're out of the office. Mm-hmm. It gives you leadership skills because you're you know, presenting this proposal and negotiating it. So I think people forget about all these soft skills that you can learn through the trial and error of going yeah. remote. Um, so, so that would be like my main suggestion for people that are entry level that already have jobs. For people that are looking to make a shift, I think there are great opportunities out there for anybody if you just tap into what can I do as a skill set and how does it translate online. And so I see mm-hmm. people, even like yoga teachers or people where they they you know want to have a business in person, but it's like, well, they're still admin work you have to do behind the scenes or scheduling or planning out your lessons and you can do that from anywhere um or maybe you're an executive assistant and there's tons of virtual ea programs now or maybe you want to to learn how to code and you can go into a very um intentional like virtual boot camp to learn how to code and start from the Mm get-go working remotely Um, I do think, unfortunately, a lot of these jobs skew towards sort of the information age um, and the type of work that relies on a transfer of information. But I think there are also ways to get creative with what subset of my workday is administrative or work about work. And do I actually need to be physically present to do that, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, working in a restaurant, whether it's, you know, learning how to code or design, there's still going to be tasks that you do that are communication that can be done wherever you want. So the cook probably needs to work in the restaurant, but the bookkeeper or the, you know, someone who's taking reservations could potentially even be working from home. Exactly. Or the, the chef needs to be at the restaurant while he or she is physically cooking. But when they're menu planning, they can be wherever they want. And the inspiration that happens when they're wherever they want could make the menu even better. I always felt a little sad when I was working from home uh, for Mayo Clinic and I was having my babies during those years. People often approached me and said, hey, you know, you have like a dream job. Um, How could I become a medical transcriptionist like you? And I was like, oh, I don't recommend it anymore because, you know, this field is on its way out. And sure enough, a few years down the you know path, the people were starting to get laid off because virtual technology, virtual speech recognition, stuff like that was just taking over. Um, so I always like, let's not talk about medical transcription. I don't even recommend you start to study that. Now, there are going to be, you know, everyone's like, well, what about Rev? And you have to be really careful, I feel, about, you know, how much work can you actually do quickly to get the enough pay? 
You know, they'll say they'll pay so much per job, but actually if you're slow, you know, you're going to be working for, you know, pennies <laughs> mm-hmm. in the long run. So I started recommending to people to look into like virtual assistant work. Are you seeing that as a field that's getting oversaturated or still a lot of opportunity? I think there's probably still tons of opportunity there because as more companies shift remotely and they realize they need support, the people that are working in that industry are getting transferable skills to then move on to different types of work. So Mm -hmm. um, I would say if you're in the position where you don't know what you want to do, but you know you want to have the freedom and flexibility to work from home, explore that because what you're learning is like how to build trust with your clients you're learning how to be organized you're learning how to have amazing you know both like verbal communication from whether it's synchronous calls or looms um, videos that you're filming but also written business communication that's the backbone of being a great remote worker. And so if you already have those skills, then you can figure out what exactly you like to do. Is it event planning? Is it design? Is it coding? Is it HR? Mm -hmm. Um, And any of those jobs can be done working from home. Social media. That's a really big one right now. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey? Some Fill in some of the gaps. Um, you talked about traveling extensively. What was that like for you? And why did you stop? Is it because of the pandemic or did are you, were you ready to slow down a little bit? A little bit of both. So I had been working, you know, from home since 2014. In 2016, I decided like, hey, I can do this and travel the world full time. And so that's what I started to do. I've had amazing experiences traveling and working in Africa and Asia, South America, Europe, um, coming back to the U.S. and being able to combine working with visiting family and friends. So I, I never had to necessarily say no to opportunities and I never necessarily had to take days off work unless I was intentionally wanting to use them for a vacation or a holiday. So I think to scenarios like, oh, a friend is getting married. I really want to make it back to the United States to go to the wedding, but I don't want to take a bunch of time off work. Well, I can work during my 10-hour layover at the airport. I can go to the wedding because it's on a weekend. The next week, I'll just stay in this town, get extra time to visit my friends and be able to continue my job as normal. And so for me, Um, working from home and being able to travel to do so helped me definitely with my wanderlust. Like I got to see the world. I got to make friends all over the world, see different cultures. Um, And that's something I've always been incredibly passionate about. But it also meant when dealing with the choice of being there for a loved one, I could do that. And that was very important to me. Um, Throughout my experience as a digital nomad, I I met my partner who also owns his own business and works from home. And um, we quickly realized that traveling as a digital nomad, dealing with two different uh, citizenships and other life logistics made it quite challenging. And so, you know, it was kind of navigating as an American, how long can I stay in Europe? As someone uh, on his end who comes back quite frequently to see his family, how long does it make sense to go to, well, yeah, the U.S. is fine, but like we're not necessarily going to go to Australia because the flight there, you have to, to commit to a certain amount of time to be there. And so the logistics were getting challenging, and I always wanted to not necessarily live in one place forever, but definitely continue to experiment with what working from home and being a digital nomad meant and what happens if I choose to spend longer periods of time in places like Spain, which I absolutely love and still do, you know, little side trips throughout the year. So I was in the process of getting my residency visa to move to Spain while the pandemic hit. Um, I did the the European lockdowns in France, which was the longest I had stayed in one place since 2016. And it was terrifying and fascinating because I realized like, hey, all of this excitement of the travel, I think also led to some personal burnout. Traveling full time with a full time job is exhausting and it's not for everybody. Um, It was an amazing experience and I wouldn't have given it up. But now I'm quite happy to, you know, start building a community here in this town in Spain. And I'm still looking forward to traveling. I'm going to be in Normandy uh, for two months this summer. Um, 
traveling and and working there with other remote workers and and so it's like again not necessarily having to make a choice realizing that if you experiment with things you can find ways to have it all okay and what's next for you you said you're going to be spending a couple months in normandy yep so um i i am organizing with two other people a working retreat in Normandy for um, our friends and friends of friends, specifically for families whose parents work remotely and want to be around other families working remotely to to realize you can do this with kids. Because something I hear Mm -hmm. a lot from working parents is, well, once we have kids, we can't really travel. And summer vacation is a perfect time to experiment with that. So Mm -hmm. that's a personal project that I'm looking forward to. And professionally, um, what's on the horizon for me is continuing to educate people around how they can organize their teams to work better remotely. So I mentioned that I'm currently writing a book. We have an agent and hopefully a publisher coming soon. So if you're listening to this and you're interested, uh, make sure to reach out. Um, But alongside the book, we're also leading workshops and Ask Me Anything programs and things of that nature to help other people really get inspired by how they can customize remote work for their team. I have a question. I'm going to change gears a little bit. Go for it. One of the things that I'm most passionate about with um, my podcast is always talking a little bit more about ergonomics. Um, I've suffered from some back and neck and shoulder and all all the pain, you know, the headaches and things that come with that. And I do probably identify a few things that I've done over the years that have contributed to that. Um, But when I think about these digital nomads, I usually just envision people just walking into an Airbnb and just finding a table and sitting down and putting their laptop down. And to me, that just hurts. (laughs) As I just (laughs) look at it, I'm like, that just, I can just feel the headaches and the shoulder tension and all the things that could come with that. Um, Do you feel that ergonomics and digital nomad can like coexist? I think they can. I know a lot of people that have awesome contraptions that they travel with to make stand-up desks or the desks at their level. Um, If you could see my setup right now, my computer is resting on two books to make Mm -hmm. it at a height that's not uncomfortable for my shoulders. So I think there's fancy ways of doing things and then the, the more life hack ways of doing things. I think Outside of it's a gamble with Airbnbs and if you're going to have comfortable um, chairs and things like that to work with is how you structure your day. And so as someone who works from home, I'm never sitting for too long, which I think surprises people. The most I'll ever be sitting down is probably two hours. And after that, I and even then I'll probably an hour in take a five minute get up and stretch. And so I am all about keeping the body moving my favorite productivity hack is one spot, one goal. So I'll sit down and work on something. And as soon as I'm done with that particular task, I'll get up. And so then I'll maybe be like standing at my kitchen counter and working on something while standing. I'll make sure that I go for a walk throughout the day to get my body moving, start my day with, you know, yoga or Pilates or boot camp. And so I'm, I'm not getting out of bed, lying down and then immediately sitting at a desk. And so Because I work from home and I can create my own schedule, I've navigated those things to make sure that they're things that keep my body the best it can be while working from whatever circumstances life has thrown at me. And I've like taken a video call from a makeshift standing desk on my bicycle. Like I've done ridiculous like cliche nomad things when it comes to working (laughs) and, and have realized that like chairs are super important you can't always get a comfortable chair i travel with a really comfortable pillow and if i have to put that on the chair i do it but more than anything don't sit still too long um and that's the the lesson that i learned if you're raising your computer with the books do you also have a separate keyboard that you're typing on or do you just do that for videos do you put your hands up like this because that also gives me headaches um yeah i don't know i um should buy maybe buy a keyboard now i bought this yeti and it's amazing and maybe a keyboard's the next step yeah um i kind of want to talk about the digital nomad lifestyle a little bit it's been a while since i've interviewed um digital nomads it's been i don't know 10 15 interviews ago um 
How do you navigate the language thing? With a lot of smiles and understanding. Um, This is one of the reasons why I think travel is something that every human should experience at some point in their life if they're, you know, privileged enough to do so. I hope that it becomes uh, something that is available to more people throughout the world because through travel you realize that it's okay to make mistakes. People want to connect with each other. Communication is hard and a little humility will go a long way. And I think Mm. that realizing what it feels like to be somewhere foreign and not speak their language and know within yourself that you are intelligent, that you have something you want to express or say, but you don't know how, is such a scary but amazing feeling that makes you just sort of value every human that that exists. Mm-hmm. And I've been blessed to have amazing strangers that have come through my life and have helped me in situations where I didn't speak the language from uh, a woman in Mexico who went out of her way to take me to a shop to buy a box and package uh, like bubbles, whatever they're called, so that I could mm-hmm. send something back to the U.S. because I couldn't figure out why they couldn't do it at the post office and it's because they didn't sell that material there um to to strangers um helping me navigate you know how to buy things at grocery stores to now living in spain and and going to doctors and having them sit down and just be so incredibly patient in explaining terms that I don't know in Spanish and they don't know in English and just being able to find that common ground to communicate with each other. Do you find yourself using digital tools to help with some of the translation? Yeah, definitely. Like Google Translate, Mm -hmm. 100%. um, It's on my phone. I use it not so much every day because I think my Spanish is getting a little bit better, but it's something that I've relied on quite a lot while I've been traveling. When I traveled um, the most was in, like, my teenage years and my early 20s. Um, But I was always with a team, and they often had a translator or someone on the team who could translate. And so I've never experienced, like, taking my family to another country. Um, I feel like my husband has never left the country. So I feel like probably our first traveling experience would probably be to an English-speaking country just to kind of get used to the idea of traveling and being in new places. But um, I've got two kids who are trying to learn Chinese and Spanish. And I'm like, if you can learn those two languages, it can really go, um, you know, Mandarin is more useful because it's just, you know, China is such a hugely populated country. So um, you could really get around there. But Spanish, it opens up Spain and basically most of South America, Central America, um, Mexico. Yeah, but my own language learn, skills. Learn it young. That's what I yes. wish I did. <laughs> yeah, my my Spanish skills are are definitely lacking. We are in Arizona, and it definitely comes in handy to know some. You know, we have friends we saw yesterday, and very quickly I was like in over my head, and we had to call over our friend who could translate because I I need to practice. And yeah, it's it's a I guess a barrier for some people for traveling that you know fear of like what if they were to be taken advantage of or. Um, you know, I, how could I even rent a house if I don't know the language? Um, it could be definitely a barrier, but it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. Do you have anything else you want to talk about that we've missed? Um, I think we've covered so many things. I'm just, you know, what I really hope that listeners get out of this is there's ways to make work your own and working from home looks different for everybody. And so don't assume that my story is going to work for you or the last guest or the next guest that you interview is going to work for you. Yeah. But take the time to figure out why you want to work from home, what value it would add to your life, what potentially you would be missing and cultivate other ways to make that happen. And so so on one example there is I think that right now a lot of people talk about isolation when people Mm. are working from home and what it feels like to be alone at home all day and I think COVID has played a huge part of this yeah but how people are working from home isn't how it has been for me since 2014 here in Spain things are opening up and so cafes are open again I Mm -hmm. invited 
other people that live in this community to meet me to work in a cafe a few weeks ago. And so I wasn't working alone. I wasn't lonely. I was getting my work done and I was also able to connect with other people in different industries and learn how they work from home and what works for them. And so I think that the more you throw out preconceptions of working all day means that you're only you know with your colleagues or that you're working in an office or that you can't take your dog for a walk and then get inspired by you know something that you've seen around town and bring it back to your work um there's there's ways to challenge all of the status quo and make working from home really work for you what i'm kind of hearing from what we're talking about is if you are looking for a work from home opportunity, try to find the ones that do have some flexibility. You know, some of those are very inflexible and you might actually be more stressed in the end um, if you don't get to enjoy the benefits of working from home. But if you can find the ones that do allow some asynchronous meetings or a flexible schedule, it sounds like it's just going to be a better experience for you. Yeah. And hopefully and, your team. And for, for managers listening, for leaders listening, it's not only a better experience for your employees, but you reap the benefits of that as well. Because mm-hmm. the more creative, well-rested, happy your employees can be, the better work output that you'll get. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's mutually beneficial, which is why it's amazing to me that people aren't actively trying to make this change, both from mm-hmm. an individual standpoint, but also more importantly, from that corporate standpoint as well. I feel like a lot of companies right now are trying to say, okay, uh, I need everyone to come back to the office now. And I'm sure that there are always going to be the people that wanted to be back in the office. Um, But this is probably like a time. A year ago, everybody was navigating how can we work from home? How can we make it work? You know, what protocols and procedures need to be put in place really quickly? But now it's like, hmm. Do you want to continue working from home? And how do you advocate for yourself if you want to do that when your managers are pushing you to come back? Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest question there is, you know, has the quality of my work changed? Has the benefits for the company changed? And if the answer is no, then what is the added value of coming back to the office can be? And I think an argument is, well, you know, not everybody likes working from home. Well, that's great. The people that don't like it can work in offices. They can mm-hmm. keep a more rigid schedule for themselves. They can find co-working spaces or go back to company hubs if those are located. Mm-hmm. But for everybody else, you know, that are doing better, feeling better, working smarter, working harder remotely, why why change it if you're able to do it in this circumstance, which is the hardest circumstance to work remotely. Even for me, I had to go through a learning curve of what it was like to be stuck in a studio apartment working from home every day. It can only get better. If Mm -hmm. you keep learning what motivates you, what helps you be productive, if you keep figuring out the different hacks to, to help you work better remotely, today is fine. What it can be tomorrow, what it can be a year from now could be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like one of the biggest challenges that many families have faced is um, having the kids at home while trying to work from home. Like yeah. that was not maybe the plan. That wasn't how people would have uh, a lot of people had their kids in a school um, or in childcare, And because of the pandemic, you know, those opportunities and options have changed. And some people are choosing to keep their kids at home. Some people have chosen to put them back into school with masks on or whatever online school. Um, we've chosen to actually do a little bit of both. We've done, um, well, not both. We've done hybrid. No, I'm trying to say it. I'm saying it all wrong. We've done homeschooling and online schooling. And mm-hmm. next year, we don't know. Like, we literally have no idea what we're going to do in July when school resumes here in Arizona. Um, one of the things that I feel like managers especially should be paying attention to is, you know, if you have a certain number of people who want to work from home and they might need to come in periodically rather than keeping their entire full desk set up, you could have a drop in station. And then as your company expands and grows, rather than having to acquire new buildings or build, your overhead is changed. If you have people working from home, you don't have to have the same number of um, janitorial staff working and um, overall, you know, like the 
the, the, something that I noticed when I was working with Mayo Clinic, we had, I think, 300 some transcriptionists working in this huge building. And when they sent all of them home, they were able to bring in an entire different kind of um, office. You know, uh, I think a lot of the schedulers or something else moved into that building and they didn't have to build. They didn't have to try to acquire new land to build on. And I think they started to see, oh, you know, we can continue to grow, but we don't have to continue to build. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. I think there was a headline uh, maybe a day or two ago, Google potentially can save a billion dollars in annual savings because of remote work. And while I don't think that companies should go remote to cut costs, because I think that money can be used for lots of things like Mm -hmm. ergonomic assessments Mm -hmm. and benefits for things like childcare or co-working spaces or travel to meet up. or, you know, making sure that there's healthy food at home because this benefit of, mm. you know, giant campuses like Google was, was food on site. Like, yeah. it shouldn't be a cost-saving exercise, but there are cost savings involved. Um, and and the more you question, you know, if you were going to start a business today, if you were going to start working today, would you choose to build an office? Would you choose to want to go into an office every day? Or would you choose something else? And if the answer is I would choose something else, then be intentional about that and figure out what it would be. And this is true, you know, everything I'm saying, it might seem lofty for for someone who's just starting, who's who's an employee, but if that's true, you know, keep pushing it. There's companies out there that will accept it. And if it's a company, like you can do it. Don't hold yourself back because of the way that things used to be done. I like what you said about reallocating some of those funds to something that still is improving the the lifestyle, um, I guess, and and then in turn the quality of the work that you get from your employees. Yeah, exactly. And and I think we're like employees are going to ask for it, and the companies that are great and innovative and forward thinking are going to provide it. And so as the talent pool changes and their needs change, companies are going to have to adapt to making things work better remotely. And so like one thing, you know, off the top of my head, when I started working in 2014, like having companies chip in to pay for things like Wi-Fi or a home office desk was a very rare benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2021, 2022, I think it's going to be a benefit that is status quo for remote workers. I like hearing you say that because I've I've interviewed quite a few people in my market research and then here on the podcast and to kind of get a little bit of all of it. What do you think that companies should do if they were to provide a desk? Um, and especially if you have a diverse uh, population of employees all over the place, are they supposed to do they accept the guest uh, the desk as a gift or do they have to return it in the end? Like, how do you feel that should be if they pay for that monitor, they pay for that computer, what needs to be turned in in the end? Yeah. So one best practice that I've seen companies do is after a certain level of service, um, you know, writing it off as a gift, especially if there's depreciation costs where it's no longer valuable to the company. And if they, if the employee chooses to leave or cut tenure before that that cutoff point to allow them the opportunity to purchase it back from the company instead Mm. of having to navigate sending it back. I think Mm -hmm. that's true with desks and laptops and things like that. Mm -hmm. Again, this is where laws and compliance really need to be taken into account, though, because these types of things, are they taxable benefits? Are they not taxable benefits? Could potentially change in every state or country where you're having employees operate. And that's why I think it's so critical for businesses as they look to offer these benefits to, you know, hire lawyers to get people involved to make sure that they're not doing anything that is meant to be a great thing for their employee but could hurt them in the end i think just really documenting things too like up front like i had a a woman was discussing in some group that i was in that she had received a laptop and i think like charging cables and a headset and a keyboard and a backpack that held it all And when she was leaving the company, she didn't know what to return because it wasn't clear. She didn't know if the backpack was just swag 
or if it was like part of a package. And I said, well, when I was leaving, you know, when I did my separation from Mayo Clinic, um, it, there was very clear list, a full, a full checklist of every single um, dongle and um, doodad and, you know, charging cable that was expected to be returned. And then they sent me um, a FedEx shipping label that would cover it. We were told that when we received our equipment initially in the mail that we needed to keep the box. So I had like a little box of boxes all stacked together so that when it was time to ship something back or if we ever were changing out um, uh, equipment, like if they were going to say, okay, now instead of using this type of Cisco box, you need to use this one. And then it was very easy to know exactly. I mean, it was very laid out with, and they even, they always had like the digital version online, but they also had like I hate, you know, wasting trees and everything, but like sometimes even just the paper packet, because if you did have to disconnect your computer to put things away, then you couldn't access that thing on, online. So you had the paper copy so you can know exactly what to put back in. And I really appreciated that now, now knowing that there's a lot of ambiguity <laughs> for some people about what is mine and what is not. Um, I think it's really just important to be clear upfront and then especially at the end if that relationship is ending. Yeah, and I think all of this just stands to to the core lesson that I would teach anybody about work in general, forget remote work, which is setting proper expectations. And so this is yet just another example where if expectations aren't set between an employee and a company, things get ambiguous and it can create tension or stress or conflict. And so, you know, as a company, this is why having a very detailed remote work policy is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, what does your onboarding and offboarding look like? What is, you know, going to be depreciated and then, you know, fair game for an employee to keep versus not? You don't really think about those things in an office. If you need a pen, you take a pen and you write um, some notes. But, you know, are our office equipment, like miscellaneous things, going to be expensable by an employee or not? And the more you can just continue to ask yourself all these little questions that sound so small and insignificant, but they're not at the end of the day, especially if certain employees are doing things one way and another group's doing it differently, that's where tension can occur in the organization. So Mm -hmm. as a leader, keep asking yourself these questions and then document it and figure out what your policies are. As an employee, if you're you're not seeing these policies, write out your own questions and make sure that you have a running list of these are the things that I have been given or that have been necessary for me to get my job done and and have these conversations with your HR team, with your manager, because that's the only way that everyone can move forward is figuring out what are the questions that nobody knows how to answer. Do you think these questions should come up in an interview or after someone's been hired? Depends on how important it is to somebody. Um, You know, I wouldn't necessarily choose a job based off of if someone was going to buy me a desk or not. But as a company looking to hire really great people, the more that you can be upfront about these types of benefits, the more attractive your employment brand would be. Um, But I'm also someone who is used to having two books prop up my laptop and it doesn't (laughs) personally impact me. If you need a certain work environment in order to get your job done, I definitely encourage you to talk about those issues upfront in an interview um, and make sure that the company can give you the resources you need to get your job done successfully. And we haven't talked at all really about startups, but I know that when, you know, you've got a really talented person who starts something and then it grows and they need to hire uh, a team member and then another team member. And then it's all of a sudden they're, you know, big. They don't always have that HR department to handle all of these things. Do you have any advice for people who are growing quickly and having to navigate these new waters? Is that yeah. where it's uh, reach like out to, Reach out in? to me. I can help. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, but also from, from a compliance standpoint, from a payroll standpoint, there's companies like Oyster that can support that. Um, if you're looking to transition to remote work, there's, um, not just me, but there's lots of, you know, people emerging in the industry now to be like interim heads of remote, um, academies for how to learn how to work remotely. Like Remote How is a perfect example of that. Oyster as well does an upskilling program. Me and my co-author do a lot of workshops around, you know, what should be included in your remote work policy. So there's tons of resources that exist. Um, I think before you get an HR department on board, 
your leadership team needs to agree um, because all of the questions around, oh, can someone buy back their computer or not? Can people work in whatever time zone they want? So much of it has to do with what company values. And so much of that has to do with the founding team. And so mm-hmm. I think a strong leadership team will think of these things and get in resources to help and not wait until the company gets, you know, large enough for an HR team to come on board to figure out all of these problems. They should be conversations that are happening from day one. Absolutely. How can people find you in your book? Yeah. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it's Green Alley, but um, instead of Alley Green when you're typing in the URL, but it should be pretty easy to find on on LinkedIn. Uh, in order to learn more about my book and workshops, people can go to remoteworksbook.com. Uh, and for my business venture around HR consulting for remote teams, kohana.io. Can you spell that out? C-O-H-A-N-A dot I-O. Good. And I did look at your LinkedIn. It is Green Alley. That's what I thought. Yeah. Doing, and doing it, things different as always. <laughs> green with an E. G or with three E's, right? G-R-E-E-N-E-A-L-I. Perfect. Yes. All right. Any final thoughts? No, just I want everyone to go out there and start living their their remote work dreams. So best of luck to everybody listening. Thank you so much, Allie, for spending this time with us. We went a little over an hour, so I think that's just just right for me. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, you have a good evening, and I will see you next time. This has been April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home with Allie Green, and thank you again. Thank you. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.